We just sang, by faith this mountain shall be moved, and the power of the gospel shall prevail. And so that's the question. What is that power of the gospel? We're in Romans chapter 1. And while you turn to that, I came across a a professor who was uh, teaching a class, and he had his uh, students put together unresumes in order to to make a point. Now, he himself put together an unresume. I I didn't uh, list there. That's what it's called, an unresume. And so this is, uh, these are some of the things that were on his unresume. Uh, undergraduate, uh, Wheaton College, I was admitted but received no scholarships. Uh, then he had uh, graduate uh, master's programs, Duke School of Divinity. Uh, I was waitlisted and eventually rejected. And then uh, on down under his, uh, he's got a a heading of uh, publication proposal rejections, and he's got three journal articles, great titles and so on. All of them were rejected, and he's got them all listed uh, with uh, um, various uh, um, places that he tried to get them. And then book proposal, uh, uh, Cambridge Companion to the Atonement, Cambridge University Press, uh, that was rejected as well. And then uh, faculty position rejections, Biola, George Fox University, and so on. So that was, uh, that was his resume. Now, uh, did you notice anything about that? Have you ever put together a resume? How different was that from from what we are told we are to put on a resume. I want you to put that on the side burner. And uh, let's read our scripture, and we will come back to that thought a little bit later. Uh, But we're going to pick up in chapter 1 with verse 16. We're going to slow down this week and next because... These two verses really are the theme of this uh, entire book. And so we've got to stop and and dig deeper in these, beginning with verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Father, will you in these moments open up your word to us. You have made it clear enough so that a child can understand. And yet we are so distracted. Will you be our teacher today? We would ask for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 
Verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why would Paul even have to state that? Why would he say, I'm not ashamed? And then then begin to explain it. That word ashamed there is very much related to uh, a word that has to do with uh, the, uh, an offense. In other words, uh, being concerned over an offense. And the reason I bring that out is because the gospel itself, when understood rightly, is offensive to the world in which we live. And if we, don't, if we don't get that, and if that which we present is not offensive, then we are not presenting the true gospel. Uh, we read, for instance, in 1 Peter 2, verse 7, it talks about um, Christ being uh, the cornerstone, but then it calls him a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's foolishness to those who don't believe. And then Galatians 5 verse 11 talks about the offense of the cross. Now that's not something we somehow want to take pride in. We we don't go out trying to deliberately offend people We should be as winsome as we can when we present the gospel, when we bear witness for the gospel, when we live out our lives in front of other people, and yet we have to understand that that we are told throughout the New Testament it is an offense because it is so different from the way the world looks at things. And so let's look at this contrast because uh, it, uh, in verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So what does this world that we live in, and by the way, they're not the enemy, by setting up a contrast here, I'm not saying that so we hate them or we you know, we're in in rivalry with them or anything like that. We need to see our world as lost and dying and in need of this powerful gospel. That's how we should see our world. So, uh, So it's not with hatred when we say the world believes this. But we do need to understand there is a difference of how how those without Christ look at the gospel and how we are going to look at it. It is the power. So what is, uh, how does the world look at power? What are they looking for when they look uh, for being empowered or uh, powerful things? Well, the word that's used here, and I put it in your outline, I typically don't put Greek words in there uh, because there's usually no reason to put a Greek word in there. But I put it in there uh, because it's so related to the English word. The the Greek word is dunamis, 
And that's where we get the word dynamite. So that's, that's what it's talking about when it says it's the, the power uh, of the gospel. So what does our world expect from power or being empowered? There, there are dozens of ways we could answer that. I'm giving you just a few. One is um, something that affirms who you already are. The world we live in feels empowered when they are, are told who you are, that's, that's good. You don't even need to think about, about changing in any way. A long time ago, when I was in college, one of uh, my majors was behavioral science. And uh, in that major, it was a, a mixture of uh, psychology and uh, sociology and philosophy, and I mean a mixture. I mean real <laughs> mixture. Uh, and I don't know how I ever majored in that, but uh, in, in terms of psychology, the, the hot book and topic of the day was I'm okay, you're okay. Do you have your copies with you today? <laughs> well, it, it was a bestseller. You probably, we had to read it and, and study it and do study guides and all kinds of things uh, for it. But uh, basically, if you're not familiar with it, uh, the, it was a number one bestseller. Changing lives of millions. That's what it says on my copy, my brown dog-eared copy, Okay. And uh, it was Dr. Thomas Harris who was teaching transactional analysis theory, and he basically was saying all of our relationships and, and are, depend on how you look at yourself, am I okay or not okay, and how you look at others, are they okay and, uh, or not okay. Now, we're not going to interact with the content of the book itself, but... but simply the title. The world we live in loves that kind of a phrase. I'm fine. You're fine. It's, it's empowering. It sounds good. It's politically correct. You don't have to offend anyone. We can all just get along. If we all think of each other as being okay, that's empowerment in the world we live in. We're going to contrast this in a minute. Another kind of empowerment uh, the world without faith loves is, is something that releases your own ability. Um, that feeds into our natural feelings of self-sufficiency uh, to help you change or help you not change and accept yourself. Why do you think if you, uh, if you can find a bookstore, <laughs> but if you go into a bookstore and, uh, or you go online and, and uh, you look in the self-help or self-improvement, it's in a bookstore, it's going to be uh, one of the biggest sections of all. If you go online, it's just uh, unending the number of books that would be under self-help or self-improvement. 
Why do you think that is? Well, part of it is because people want to improve themselves, but the other part is that when it comes to using a formula <clears throat> or the 10 steps to do this or whatever or your own discipline, that it's only going to work for so long and then you're going to come to the end of that and you know what? You need to get the next book. And so that's why those books will just continue to be uh, pumped out because of our own limitations but that's what people are looking for, some kind of a, a personal empowerment. Another aspect of empowerment people love is something that feeds into our, our human pride. Man's approval or popularity with others. That's why that unresume is so strange. Who would do that? You wouldn't do that if you, were, if you were trying to get a job. We are told, highlight your strengths and figure out a way. If you have weaknesses, whatever they, your weaknesses are, try to low-key them. Explain them away because it's about showing yourself to be strong. Minimize your weaknesses. And then in terms of power, the world we live in also is looking for a, a leader that shows strength in their eyes and power. There are some that think that's what this whole presidential race is about right now. Looking at who's going to be the most powerful one out there. And I'm, 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 I'm not endorsing here if you're waiting for that. Uh, but do you remember uh, when Dr. Ben Carson was in the running? And uh, if you remember him, if you ever heard him speak or answer questions, what you saw was a soft-spoken man you saw a thoughtful person who uh, didn't snap off answers, he thought, and then he spoke. But how, he got panned for all those things. People called him weak, hesitant, those kinds of things. And it's because that goes against the grain of what our world tends to to see as power in a leader. Now let's take a look and contrast those. I'm just going to use those few things, those four things, <clears throat> with what the gospel shows us. Because it's called the power, isn't it? It's called the power of God for salvation. First of all, the gospel shows us that we don't have any ability to change ourselves. You might say, well, that's discouraging. Just hang in there, okay? But that's where we have to start in terms of understanding the gospel. We don't have any ability to change ourselves. Some of you are spending a lot of time trying to change uh, 
your spouse, your kids, people at your workplace, things like that. And I just want to share you a little pastoral secret that I learned as a very young pastor. I learned I can't change anybody. In fact, even worse than that, I learned I can't change myself. So why should I think that I can change others? And yet, that's at the beginning of the gospel is understanding that we don't have that ability. If we don't get that down, we're not going to be able to proceed through a real understanding of the gospel. Secondly, the gospel says, I'm not okay. And by the way, you're not okay either. (laughs) That's part of the gospel right there. And we've got to grasp that. And at it, 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 this point, it sounds so negative and so hopeless. That's, we're going to find out. That's why the gospel is good news. Because we have to learn how lost we are, how uh, unable we are before we can see the, the gospel as good news and something to rejoice over. The rest of this chapter, Romans 1, and all the way through uh, Romans 3 are going to teach us about how we are not okay. And it, it's going to hit it from just about every angle. By the time we get to, ch- to chapter 3, you're going to say, I get it. I get it. We, 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 can't, we can't save ourselves. That is the indictment on all mankind. Um, and then thirdly, the gospel doesn't feed human pride. Because it says, when it comes to your salvation, you have nothing to be proud of because you don't deserve what you've received. That's the nature of grace. Grace is not just favor, it is undeserved favor. And so we've, we've got to grasp. Uh, that's, that's not going to feed into our pride. If we are, are uh, a child of the living God, we, we can't uh, pump ourselves up or pat ourselves on the back and say, yeah, because we didn't do that. Instead, we say, yes, that's, that's where it came from from God Himself. Nothing in my hands I bring. Only to the cross I cling. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Salvation is the change from being confident about our own efforts to the state in which we despair of doing anything for ourselves and leave it to God. The sense in which a Christian leaves it to God, is that he puts all his trust in Christ. Trust that Christ will somehow share with him the perfect human obedience which he carried out from his birth to his crucifixion. 
See, that's, that's getting at the core of the gospel, is that it's not about me and my accomplishments or anything that I, I deserve because what I deserve is eternal separation from God, eternal condemnation. That's what I deserve. So if I have any favor at all, it is undeserved favor. And that's what grace is. And then instead of uh, uh, the world who looks for strong leadership, the gospel points us to Christ. Now, I would argue that it is in Christ that we see real power. We see real strength. But not by the definition of the world that we live in. Jesus never would have gotten elected. Jesus never would have been called as the pastor of a megachurch. Maybe not being called as a pastor of any church. And yet in him is real and infinite and perfect power. But Jesus serves and suffers. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we will serve and suffer as well. So, what difference does it make? This power of the gospel unto salvation. I want to give you four categories. We could, we could list them all day long, and I, I will just tell you that uh, virtually the whole rest of the book is going to flesh this out. But I don't want to leave you just with what we can't be. This is, this, these are uh, results of the power of the gospel. Uh, number one, resurrection from death to life. We are raised from the depths of hell to the heights of heaven. Secondly, we're given a new heart. It's a spiritual heart transplant. The Scripture indicates that we are dead. Our heart is dead spiritually. And so what it took is He had to regenerate us by putting a new heart inside of us and causing uh, it to, to work and to course through our veins spiritually to where we are alive again. Thirdly, the power of the gospel is transformation. It's that change that uh, in, where, where many people would simply want to uh, say, well, I, I'm, I'm okay, I don't, I don't want to change, I don't need to change. Or some would just give up and, you know, when the pastor says he can't change himself, why should I think I can change myself? We can't, but that's where... That's where the power of the gospel comes in. Transformation. A new life in Christ. And then fourthly, eternal abundant life. Eternal life that is abundant. You know, everyone's going to live forever. But some will live in punishment forever. The gospel offers eternal, abundant life. All of this is by grace. And next week, <laughs> I told you we're just going to do one, one verse next week too. We're going to spend the whole day leading up to communion 
talking about His righteousness that is given to us. I can't wait. His righteousness for us. In terms of application, for the, it's, this is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. And this is the key. Paul's basically saying that the gospel is limitless and it's limited. It's limitless in in terms of who it is offered to. So in in Rome, it's not just you Jews who have had uh, the, the gospel throughout the Old Testament presented to you, but it's also the Greeks. And the gospel is offered to all. But then, then, he, then he brings it in. He says, but it's also limited. It's not just everyone in this whole world. It's to those who, who believe. So we begin by believing the facts. Jesus, who is God, came to this earth and He walked this earth tempted in every way and yet without sin. And because of that, He went to the cross. And He died on that cross for sin. He was put in a grave. And three days later, He walked out of that grave. And then He ascended to heaven. That's where we begin. But here's my fear. There are some that would say, I believe all that, I guess I'm a Christian. And that's not enough. I hope you were saying, yes, I believe those things, I do believe those, but that's not enough. Because the Scripture in James 2 is very clear. It says that even the demons believe that and tremble. Do you know Satan? Everything I just said, Satan knows to be true. His demons know that those things are true. And yet they won't experience abundant eternal life. And so what else is necessary? It's what the Reformers called fiducia. It is trusting in Christ for your salvation. Not just knowing all those things to be true and saying Jesus died on the cross for sin, but it's saying He died on the cross to pay for my sin because I couldn't pay for it. And that's my only hope. If that's not true, then there is no hope. And that's what this trust is about. C.S. Lewis, in his, his book, A Grief Observed, where he's, re- recount, he's going through the grief over his wife who died. But he talks about faith, and he said, Uh, You know, it's easy for us to 
think that a cord, meaning a piece of rope, is strong and it's sturdy when it's just wrapped around a package. It's easy for us to say, oh yeah, that's a strong cord. But he said, he said the difference is, what if that same rope is hanging over a precipice? It's only at that point, if you are willing to take a hold of that rope, that you are, you are showing that though it's a matter of life and death, that I believe in the strength of that cord. And that's how it is with Christ. Knowing those facts is never going to be sufficient. As Lewis said, it's, it's only a real risk that tests the reality of belief. So you can say all day and all night that you believe Jesus is the rope strong enough to save you. But until you get rid of all of your other props and hold on only to that rope, you haven't experienced trust. And you won't know. That is the gospel of God. Let's bow together. So, Lord, we would ask for that faith, not because we deserve it, but absolutely we need it. Will you open hearts to trust in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.